Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got holes on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. Hi, everybody, and welcome. In the Booth on a Tuesday of a holiday week. Lots of good stuff going on. Quick offshoot on Seth Sports Center. Andre Schmidt on that watch list for the Groves Award. Most of these college watch lists, they come out in September and they say, here's the 78 people in the country that we're considering for the award that we're going to give to one person that plays his position. But when it starts to get down to this time of year and they're narrowing it down to three people, that is serious stuff. He, I would say, is the favorite for the Groza Award as the nation's top place kicker in his redshirt freshman season with still two games to play. He could get the all-time national record for field goals in a season. Again, you'd love to score touchdowns over field goals, but the Orange have had touchdowns too, and uh, Schmidt has had a tremendous year. Tremendous game last night, one of the best in Monday Night Football history. I don't think I hung on for the close, i got to admit. It was 44-40. It's the last score that I know. And then I was back and forth. A Big 12 game broke out between the Rams and Chiefs, and uh, just didn't have enough steam in me, unfortunately. I did the opposite. I didn't watch any of it until the last four minutes. I there turned it go. on. I go. I, Twitter was going crazy, and I was finally like, all right, I'm giving in, and I'm going to watch this. Well, people were gushing a, a lot of different things. We're going to talk with uh, Cam Lynch and his regular spot on the show coming up here in just a bit. But, you know, either saying well, a couple of different things. First of all, greatest game ever and gushing and, and, and all of that, which is fine. Or a Big 12 game broke out which is also kind of a fine thing to say, but it's kind of, I think some people are cynically saying, hey, what are you getting all excited about? This is what we have in college football every week. Well, it's not quite like that. I mean, that was high-level quarterbacking, excitement, two great coaches, great quarterbacks going at it, lots of good difference-making players on uh, both sides of the field. And some, we'll ask Cam Lynch about this, would view it as, well, that's the future of football. If you're going to officiate the way that they are, you set the rules up the way that they're set up, then this is how we should expect games to be. It's also a little peculiar that last night was an all-star officiating crew, kind of one game selected. This is a game that was ticketed to Mexico City, moved to L.A. Everybody knows that it's right up there for the biggest games of the regular season. It's statistically going in. When you look at the records of the two teams, it's uh, one of the best uh, Monday night football matchups of all time on paper going in. Forget about how it actually uh, turned out. And they shuffled up the officiating crew for that, which I think had some negative effects too. There was some indecision. There was some tentativeness on uh, their part early in the game. But here's how it went down. It was a career game from somebody you've never heard of or thought of, Samson Ebucam. So Mahomes is in the gun from his 25 and a first and 10. And he fakes the hand up and he throws a short pass. It's picked off. Ebucam, he takes it from the 20 on the numbers, the 10 to the 5. Pushing in Mahomes into the end zone. It's a touchdown. Abukam with the interception. His second touchdown tonight. Can you believe this? 22-yard pick six by the linebacker, Samson Abukam. 
who takes it in on an interception of Patrick Mahomes and a pick six. Rams on top, 39-30. to 30. A lot of good players on both sides of the ball for both teams. Aaron Donald's so much fun to watch. He just crushes linemen and gets to the quarterback as well as anybody in the league. A pit guy done good. And then it would be Jared Goff throwing his fourth touchdown of the game to decide it as the Rams overtook the Chiefs in the final minutes. From the 40-yard line, first down and 10. Rams at the Kansas City 40. Five in the Kansas City secondary. Shotgun snap. It goes to Goff. He throws a line drive down the near side over the shoulder. Catch at the 15, the 10, the 5. It's a touchdown. It's a touchdown. Gerald Everett, the tight end. The Rams have taken the lead. 149 to go. 40-yard touchdown pass. Jared Goff. To the tight end, Gerald Everett. When I saw that happen, there was no way he stayed in bounds. The footwork on that was amazing. Yeah, tight roped it. Uh, that's the great uh, Kevin Harlan, as heard here on uh, ESPN Radio 97.7. Uh, a lot of great plays, so everybody should do themselves a favor and go back and at least online find the highlights and find if you're an NFL Game Pass user like I am, you can watch the condensed game and uh, lots of different ways to go back and uh, check this one out if you'd like. This would be a good one if you're huddled around your Thanksgiving uh, leftovers and you're waiting for pie or you're waiting for that uh, your hunger to come back for the second part of the day and the NFL games are a dud. Just throw this one on. Just watch this game again. It might uh, hold everybody's attention. We'll talk about it with Cam Lynch coming up. We'll get into the Syracuse-Boston College game as well. John Mita Perel, our BC counterpart, will join us framing up this game. And for Dino Babers, the biggest theme has been Notre Dame is a game that didn't count toward much of anything. Yes, non-conference-wise, bowl-quality-wise, there was something to be gained. Losing it doesn't really impact the Orange uh, that negatively because they can still, as they return to conference play this week, find a way to be number two in the Atlantic Division, the thing, a division that includes unbeaten Clemson. The thing I look at most is in the, in the second half of our season, we've got one loss. Everybody was happy with the 4-2 and two start in the first part of the season. We have an opportunity to go 5-1 and one on the back half, which would be OMG for the, for the millennials. That would be OMG. And I think the biggest thing is seeing if we can make that happen. And uh, I don't think everybody would want to dispose of the entire season if it didn't come out that way but how cool would it be if we could have an opportunity to find a way to win a game against your rival at their place it's going to be a physical game we're both going to play extremely physical in the game and give us an opportunity to to finish second in the ACC Atlantic that would be really cool well both sides expect this to be a physical game it's really the only way BC plays and just Talking a few moments ago with uh, Syracuse offensive lineman center uh, Aaron Service, he knows what he's going to get. He expects the defensive line, which is a good one for BC, to come right at him. And Syracuse expects to put the pressure on with its defensive line, and uh, that's how this one should go down. Boston College is a team that has roots in similar places to Syracuse's roots in the 90s. I think everybody knows how closely linked uh Adazio, Steve Adazio is to Paul Pasqualoni and the, you can, in the visions of George DeLeon and a lot of that staff, this is not exactly a ringing endorsement. It is and it isn't. It's almost like a backhanded compliment to uh, 
how Syracuse played football through the 80s and 90s. They have not missed a beat from the last time they played us here at the Dome. One of the most physical teams in the conference. They kind of do it the old-fashioned way. I kind of admire that. You know, it is 1950, 1960, 1970 football, and you really don't have a chance to beat them unless you go back into their era and play them the way they want to play. And it's a, it's, a, it's a challenge, and we're excited about it. Well, there you go. And that's the part of the basis with one of the things I say about Dino Babers. He's playing football differently than it was played here for 50 years at Syracuse. It's about time to try something different, and it has obviously worked to this point and why everybody should be invested in it continuing to work and being sustained. But uh, it is counter to the Ben Schwartzwalder, Dick McPherson, Paul Pasqualoni eras of uh, of Syracuse football. For that matter, Doug Marone and, and Scott Schaefer there as well. So uh, I guess maybe not Marone to that same extent, but you get the idea in terms of uh, what uh, has happened here with a, a little bit of a sea change in terms of the X's and O's with this program and uh, its brand and its future. And we'll touch base on all of those. Dino Baber's show tonight, the last one of the year, a little bit of an off night over at uh, Press Room Pub. Can't have it on a Thursday with uh, Thanksgiving this week. We had our first Jim Beheim show of the year last night at Carrabba's, which was excellent. And uh, thanks to everybody at Carrabba's for their fine work in terms of uh, hosting and getting everything set up for that. We'll be on a normal routine a week from this coming Thursday. So a week after Thanksgiving on the 29th, we'll recap the uh, trip to Ohio State and then be on a regular Thursday routine for the most part with Coach Beheim, Orange basketball tomorrow night at home against Colgate. Colgate won last night at home against Binghamton, so they've won four in a row. Their best player is a Lithuanian transfer from Northwestern, a guy who hasn't played in the last uh, two years due to injury, but is a really good player. Had a double-double last night against uh, Binghamton and uh, will provide Syracuse a challenge. Of course, everybody's wanting to see whether Frank Howard will be available uh, to the Orange, and we'll find that out here with practice uh, starting actually right now uh, up at the Carrier Dome. We are headed there after this. Headed to a timeout. Cam Lynch on the other side as we roll along. You're listening to In the Booth, brought to you by CH Insurance on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Second and goal to six. Manning rolls right, throws right, wide open, Barkley, touchdown. And the Giants on the opening drive of the game take the lead. And they would hang on to knock off the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday at MetLife Stadium. Not out to uh, troll our next guest, Cam Lynch, but just to give a little flavor of uh, what uh, Cam and the Bucks have been up to. And Cam, we can put that one to bed quickly, but it was a, a road loss. And uh, you guys are back at it this week. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was pretty tough, man, going up, uh, going up, to the, up to New York, back to the you know, back to back to the state, man, where I went to school at and, and play up there. It was pretty tough. They had a they had a nice team, man. They had, the players came out to play that uh, this past Sunday. So, like you said, we had to come back this week against San Fran and, uh, and hopefully get one at home. Well, people around here, there's a lot of Giants fans as well as uh, Bills fans, and uh, every win that either of those teams can get at this point uh, is welcome as uh, it, it's been a tough year for for both, and I guess you got a, a front row seat to the Giants as they work through a complete roster turnover. Yeah, man. Yeah, uh, they have a lot going on over there. Uh, they're pretty banged up up front, but uh, you know, like 
like I said, they came to play uh, this past Sunday, man. Uh, Saquon, it's, it's, it's amazing to watch that guy play, watch him move, uh, watch him cut. Uh, see Odell play as well. Uh, Eli, you know, he, he, did, he did his thing. He got the job done. So um, it's tough to win, especially with, with four-plus turnovers on our, on our end. So we have to tighten that up this week. That's right. Quarterback uh, continues to be a revolving door there, uh, flipping back and forth uh, for the Bucks. And you got the Niners at home this week. What type of challenge does uh, San Francisco present? Well, you know, they, they have their upcoming team now, man. They, they have a little uh, changeup with their roster as well, too. So, uh, you know, this Wednesday we're, we're going to prepare for them, uh, get ready for what they have going on. So, uh, But for now, we're going to put that Giants game to bed and uh, get prepared for what they have coming. I want to get your thoughts, Cam, as you know, a guy who's been in the league a while. You were on the Rams as recently as last season to see that game last night, 54-51. You know, you cut your teeth as a defensive player. You're a linebacker at heart and a special teamer in the NFL. Do you like that kind of football? Uh, it's, it's tough to it's tough to see, man, especially all those points going up on the board. You know, you hope that your defense stops stops those offenses, but it's kind of tough, man, especially with that high-powered offense that the Chiefs have, that the Rams have as well, man. Uh, it, it was a shootout, high-scoring game, I think, in, uh, in uh, regular season history. So it, it was pretty crazy to watch. Does anything strike you as big picture – here, Cam, with, you know, I think the, what a lot of people are talking about today is, hey, this is the future of football. You've got bright offensive minds. You've got, in, uh, you know, Andy Reid is not uh, just, you know, a spring chicken, but youngest coach in the NFL is Sean McVay. Uh, he draws up different things. He's a great leader, uh, certainly, of his team. Two young uh, gunslinger quarterbacks. Is this something that we should get used to seeing, or is it one of those cyclical football things that will come and go? No, I think I think this is something that we, we we'll get used to seeing. Really, uh, I talked to my linebacker coach, Mark Duffner. He said for 22 years of you know coaching in the league, he said there has not been really one call that or rule change that that's helped the defense really uh, in football. A lot of it's going towards the offensive players um, because because they want these high scoring games. So I do think that's that's the trend of uh, the sport, man. And um, hopefully we can get some defensive calls going. But that it does look like that way. Yeah, I don't know how you put the toothpaste back in the tube with a lot of these things. You know, where would you start, right? If if you were commissioner, you could change a rule. Is there anything in mind that you would do right away to maybe balance the scales a little? Uh, I mean, I, it's it's tough, man. But the you know the quarterback the quarterback rule, man, uh, the roughing the passer rule that's that's a little brutal. I feel like we should get a little more leeway with that one. Um, that's a, that's a little tough, and I'm sure there's a lot of other ones too, man. Um, with the catching rules or some, you know. Uh, you know, ambiguity with that one as well. Um, but there's a few rules that uh, we would like to change as defensive players. Um, and the pick rule as well. There's also, that's the one big one, uh, is our receivers and uh, receive, yeah, receivers running pick routes against defensive players and stuff like that with the one-yard rule. Those, those are a little weird for defensive players. So uh, those are a few things that we would like to change. Seems like on a pick, Cam, everybody knows it's illegal, but it's so easy to fake like it was either just happenstance or you don't have to make much of a, a demonstration from an offensive perspective to show that it wasn't on purpose, that you're not setting a basketball pick. Right. All you have to do is just get in the way. And it, and it puts us at risk sometimes, too, as defenders because, you know, our back is turned sometimes and it's, pre- it's pretty dangerous uh, in that sense. So uh, hopefully we can get those things reviewed, man, and, uh, you know, it just helps the defensive, defensive players as well um, throughout this process. So. Um, you know, we'll see what goes on, especially with this new CBA contract coming up in a few years. We'll see how things go and how things shake out. I saw where Tony Dungy 
put out a tweet at the beginning of the game or early in the game saying, hey, look, if this is officiated this way, we're going to see 100 points tonight. And he was prophetic, as you say, the highest scoring game in NFL history, the first time the losing team has ever scored 50 and uh, gives you an idea. As they say, a Big 12 game broke out. This is a typical Oklahoma-Texas Tech game. Yeah, that, that's what it seemed like. It, it seemed like in, uh, the team, you know, who who played better defensively is going to win. And, you know, with Aaron Donald, man, uh, it, it just showed it just showed there. And uh, like you said, a high-scoring game, and whoever had the best defensive play uh, was going to win that one. All right, last to get into with uh, Syracuse this week, Cam. First of all, uh, your old position coach, Clark Lee, now the uh, defensive coordinator for Notre Dame in his first year in that role there, in essence, uh, pitched a shutout against the Orange. Syracuse went in averaging 44 points per game and then got a, a field goal with 10 seconds to go. That, that's a shutout in my book. Yeah, uh, he did a great job, man, uh, with our high-scoring offense. Uh, he, he did a great job shutting it down. You know, his players played well. And he had to tip the hats off to, to a better team, man, um, and, and they showed it. Uh, for Coach Lee, I played with him for two years. Uh, he's probably one of the best coaches that I've had in my, you know, my years playing football. He's, he's definitely top three. And uh, they did a great job, man. Hats off to him, and I'm proud of him for that. Uh, not happy that it was against our orange, but I'm proud for him for his uh, success. Uh, how do you, as a team like this, manage w- one week to the next? It's rare to have a non-conference game this late in the year, but any goals that were set at the start of the year relative to conference performance are still at hand as uh, Syracuse heads to BC on Saturday. Yes, most definitely. Yeah, you have to wipe this game out uh, like like we did last week with the Giants. We had to wipe that game away uh, and, get, and get ready for Boston College, get ready for San Fran because um, we can't have anything carried over from the last game to this game, only positive stuff. So uh, wipe that one clean and finish it, uh, finish it strong for the Qs. You know, I just thought about this, Cam, as it relates to this week's game, and we just played before you came on a soundbite from Dino Babers talking about how physical he expects this game to be. You know, that's what we know from this group of coaches, the types of players they recruit and develop. It's a, a great linebacker school, right? Luke Keekley is a Boston College guy. This is a game I know you enjoyed playing in. Yeah, yeah. Boston College is a definitely uh, definitely a battle, man. We battled with those guys for a little bit. Uh, you know, Louis Adazio, he went to our school, our college at Syracuse, and, his, and Coach Adazio at BC. So, you know, I know those guys pretty well. And, um, uh, you know, we, we battled uh, at, our, at our time there at Syracuse versus BC, so I know this is going to be a great battle, a great way to end the uh, regular season for, for Syracuse, and I hope we come out with a win. That last game of the regular season, boy, you talk about source of pride. How neat would it be to say you finished uh, in solo second position in a division that includes Clemson? Yes, exactly, uh, and a uh, beatable Clemson as well, too. So uh, I think it would be pretty awesome if, us, if Syracuse can do that, and I think we will, so... Um, is I'm definitely proud of our team, man, and uh, how far we've gone so far, and uh, hopefully we can finish it out strong. Well, I hope you can get in front of a, a TV for that one on uh, Saturday. It's a noon start. Uh, any big uh, Thanksgiving plans for you, Cam? Uh, that's always tough in football because, yes, football is a big part of uh, people's family uh, Thanksgiving celebrations, but it's work for you too. Yes, definitely work for me. Uh, we have practice from uh, 7 to 12, and then uh, probably go hand out some, uh, some turkeys to some families, and then – and then enjoy the time off uh, with some uh, teammates as well and do that, uh, have some great grub. But, you know, give, give back to our community a little bit and also enjoy time with my teammates and, uh, and family. Well, you've always been uh, someone who took that very seriously and, and walked the walk and, instead of just talk the talk, and, and I know uh, that's appreciated uh, in and around Tampa where you can make an impact there. What's your go-to 
meal, Cam, when you're loading up that plate, what do you absolutely have to have? Oh man, I gotta have the yams, man. The yams, they're they're uh, the sweet potatoes. They're just uh, they're key to any type of plate. I actually had there was a friendsgiving last night. I had some last night. Uh, sweet potatoes on my plate is a must. You uh, goop them all up with the marshmallows and stuff, or? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Throw a little marshmallow, a little a nice little treat on top, uh, and and that'll get it done. All right. Well, you're a professional athlete, burning a lot of calories. You you deserve it and earn it. Hope uh, you enjoy whatever Thanksgiving meals uh, come your way this week. Okay, my friend. Yes, thank you, man. Happy Thanksgiving to all. All right, Cam Lynch. That's uh, out to you, Orange Nation, the Syracuse uh, football fan, former uh, Orange linebacker, now with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and a good guy. Good of him to uh, say he'll spend some of his Thanksgiving passing out turkeys today. And that's uh, very Cam Lynch. So good of him. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll. You know, on that spirit, we'll talk about flatulence. Uh, That's how this show rolls. Thanks to uh, Tommy's Do We Care. That's when we continue. Brought to you by CH Insurance. This is In the Booth on ESPN Radio. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Don't care no more. All right, so there's a big scandal going on in the dart world. Are you talking about the text that Matt got or the the dart world? You want to start with that? Well, I don't think the listeners need to know, but uh, yeah, they do. It's this is important. It's a, it is this a is fun important. Syracuse because uh, it's so game. wide I w- open. I was just texted a question. This happens from time to time. Uh, announcer friends, boy, now we're really going back. The, the text I get it comes in like a little blast of three little bits, right? Which girls do? But the text says, um, "Trying to remember a former player, lefty guard, little ways back, stocky," and I'm struggling to. F- Luke Jackson? Not stocky. Todd Bergen? That's the closest guess I have so far. Lefty guards, I'm struggling. It can't be Josh Pace. Anyway, then the next uh, hint was lefty for sure. Might have been 90s. So then I sent a whole list of the 90s, a picture out of the media guide of the 90s starting lineups. And then I suggested maybe it was Bergen. I said maybe Dave Johnson. Rock I'm lost. And this is maybe earlier. You know, you could say Pearl Washington looked a little stocky, but yeah. I mean, there's nobody would fish for that name. Like that's not a name you forget. Rock Lloyd was stocky, think. but he was only Rock here. Lloyd for sure. I suggested that name already. Pearl Washington wasn't a lefty, so we're lost. But go ahead, Tommy. <laughs> Tony Bland set set the show back. We'll go oh, back on gr- track okay. to Greg Monroe was the answer. That's what he was oh looking for. Oh my god! Okay, he was on the national yeah. the, the team that went to the national. <laughs> 87. Yeah. 80. 80 uh, Bro, okay, now I understand what the. Uh, 83 through 87. I thought you were talking Georgetown. Now I, there was a clue in there that uh, I wasn't sure what he said. He said, brought the ball back. And I thought, what do you mean? Like, set the game back? And no, what he meant was brought the ball back <laughs> behind, behind his, his head. head. It was okay. great. Gotcha. All right. Shoot. All right, let's get into farts. Let's go. Yes. You're right. We have farts on, on uh, the table today. Uh, a <laughs> scandal in the dart world in Great Britain being referred to as Fartgate. Uh, the headline of the article on Vice, which I highly recommend people uh, reading, the headline is Professional Dart World Rocked by Allegations of Heinous Farts. The first line of the article is, the stakes were high. Whoever won would walk away with about $140,000 in prize money. Matt and I have watched darts together. Darts is great on television. They, yeah, it can get electric. It can be very cool to see. Uh, so it was a pretty big deal when one player accused his rival of an atrocious, potentially game-altering offense, ripping a bunch of god-awful farts. Huh. So, 
This guy is was using. Is that a using, common practice in the game? Is what I want to know. I, I the guy got blown out and is accusing <laughs> his opponent. I get it. Tommy, right? Clever writing. Pun not intended. It should have been. <laughs> um, he had blown out ten to two, and is accusing his opponent of farting, and that's what caused him to lose this match because he just kept well, smelling like this he was horrible. Behind. He had other things to worry about. It, it's a ridiculous worry article full aim. of this scoreboard stinks. Yes. Next. <laughs> You're already over it. Yeah. I mean, I like darts on TV. I don't really want to ruin that this because of these clowns. You want to linger. Correct. Good one, Polly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, he said it'll take me two nights to lose it's this so smell good. from my nose. It was so <laughs> good. Yeah. It was uh, lingering in his nose for uh, this long. Okay. That's good. Okay. Got All right. it. All right. I'll get out of here. I got two today. Let's wipe this but, one out. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, top recruit in the country, James Wiseman, the top basketball recruit in the country, has committed to Memphis over Kentucky in next year's class. Yeah. Big get for Penny Hardaway. Yeah, over some pretty high-level schools. Yeah. Uh, Kentucky, Kansas, Florida State, who recruits really well. Florida State recruits better than they play. Uh, and this isn't a huge surprise. This is why you hire Penny Hardaway. He was his AAU coach. Yep. He's right down the road. And Penny's whole pitch. Like, if Penny didn't get this guy, it's hard to imagine then what are you going to do. Like, But this guy could be a program changer. The idea of sticking around, being at home is uh, a huge deal. That's a big get for Memphis, which is a place that – Loves basketball, and really they've been pretty good at football too. They're probably an underrated program in recent years. But when Memphis basketball is rolling and relevant, like they were with John Calipari and some other times, uh, that community really gets into it. They're they're into ball. Can a one and done player be a program changer? A guy yes. one year, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you right yeah, now? It happened here. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. Happened here. I mean, Carmelo Anthony didn't make the Syracuse program. Exactly. It, it was plenty good before. But same thing here. I mean, this guy's not going to – I mean, they were in the national championship game not that long they ago. They just played their head coach, though. Like, they, yeah, they've been struggling. was good, but they weren't yeah. national championship. But no, good it, it can absolutely change – one guy can absolutely change the course of your program. Not be a builder, but – No, I they, get one guy, but they, he's going to be there one year as well. If they, yeah, and fine. if they win, he recruits needs, come. Memphis sure. needs the paddles uh, put on him a little bit. Memphis has players. You know, that's the difference. Syracuse, with all due respect to the handful of guys that have been here, doesn't have year-after-year players that are going to be on your team here at Syracuse. They have to recruit from elsewhere around the the East. Memphis probably has two or three or four Division I players every year. If somebody like this can go and have some success, that opens the door. And what they need is the paddles of life put on them. They are a ranked team you know, under Calipari and recently here – um, they're not that far off from being really good. They need to get their standard back up, and this is a way to jumpstart it. And finally, Markel Fultz. He's had some issues last year with the shoulder. He is now going to see a specialist on his shoulder once again. He's going to sit out uh, all week. He's apparently meeting the specialist next week. It seems like the Sixers really are hoping that it's more physical with him, which it probably is mental, honestly, because – he just he's having trouble shooting the ball. He had this a video last week where he pumped fake the free throw, which he didn't even like supposed to. Like, it was strange. He's he he's a strange player. I don't know what what the deal. Well, with in it baseball, is. it's the same as getting the yips throwing sure. from second base to first and uh, throwing from uh, a catcher back to the pitcher. Simple stuff. It's a mental thing and. Uh, Fultz is at risk of really being one of the biggest busts of sports of all time. He was the number one overall pick in the draft. They traded up to get him. Yeah, it just hasn't been good. They've shut and him down. They've the covered right for him. him. They've he's played great. 
Jason they, Tatum, yeah, yeah, went three. Yeah, they've tried to him. rebuild his uh, stroke and all that, and you feel for a guy like that uh, to an extent, but it, it may have been a, a miss in scouting too because uh, he just has not been good from day one. He got benched last night. He only played seven minutes, got benched for TJ McConnell, and now today came out going to need to see a specialist. Yikes. I need Not to good. see a special. Yeah, well, <laughs> get in line, buddy. All right, more to come as we roll along. John Mita Perel of the Boston College IMG Sports Network. We'll chop it up with him when we continue In the Booth on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the booth on ESPN Radio here until the top of the hour. Leaves about uh, 10 minutes time, which is not nearly enough to get into the mind of our friend uh, John Mita Perel of Boston College counterpart and BC IMG Sports Network. BC with seven wins on the season so far. John, how are you? Matt, I'm doing great, man. How you doing? I'm good. We uh, Everything all right? Yeah. Uh, previous segment, I, I'll tell you later who it was, but I got a text from a uh, national sportscaster that I would imagine uh, you are familiar with as well, who just, you know how every once in a while we're kind of, this is a behind-the-curtain type thing, but, you know, we might text one another for a little clarification or something like that. You go to somebody who really knows a program inside and out, and so the text from this individual was, thinking of a Syracuse guard left-handed and kind of pudgy. And now, now that I say it out loud, Siri is trying to uh, to guess as well. But and it took me a while to figure that out, figure out what, where they were going for. In fact, I didn't I didn't figure it out because I was looking a lot more recently than what turned out to be the answer. Yeah, that's hard to uh, that's hard to come by, isn't it? I mean, left handed and kind of pudgy that could be any number of Syracuse guards. I don't think so. I don't. There's not a lot of left handed. There's not a lot of pudgy. Um, you know, first of all, if you're pudgy, you're not probably much of a basketball player. I would think uh, Khalid El Amin is the only guy that I can think of here recently that might fit that description. Was a, a very good player at uh, Connecticut, took them to the national championship. The answer turned out to be uh, meets uh, Greg Monroe, Ooh, who was definitely left-handed. I, I'm not going to accuse him of being pudgy, but he might have been a little thicker than most. But he was definitely left-handed. That's an interesting. So that was. Who is that query from? Bob Costas? No. He is not pudgy. I'm looking well, at again, a pudgy, of pudgy by basketball standards. Um, yeah, a little softer, I would say, than than uh, than most. And not pudgy. He's not like that pudgy is a relative term. And I'm not Greg's a good dude. I'm not I'm not gonna call him pudgy. <laughs> uh, I would say I that, think you just did. <laughs> well, I didn't mean I didn't mean to. I take it back, Greg. Uh it's I'm pudgy. Um Pearl Washington, I think had kind of a squat body. I think people might, they wouldn't have used the word pudgy, but he wasn't left-handed, so he, that's not who he was talking about. So it was not Bob Costas. We're not uh, text friends. You're not? No, no. I, I have a great deal of respect for him. I know him enough to say hello and, and vice versa. Not that he would say hello to me necessarily, but we're not uh, hitting each other on the on the celly very often. So Hey, I get it, man. Hey, you know his daughter went to BC. I didn't know that. Yes. It's an excellent institution. Proud Boston College grad. That's yes. right. Well, there's a lot of pride, uh, proud BC grads out there and uh, proud football team. Why don't you take us through it here a little bit? Uh, they were kind of cruising along, and what happened uh, with the Florida State game on Saturday? Florida State game was a horrible loss. Uh, I hate to, uh, hate to mince words here, but it was just, it was deadly. It's one of those games you walk away thinking, how the heck did they lose that game? I know you've seen a few of those. Uh, 
inexplicable, just did not play well, uh, played well late, uh, too much too late. Anthony Brown didn't get into a rhythm. Uh, he was way off in the early going. And they, you know, like much like every other team in the country, if your quarterback doesn't play well, you don't have much of a chance. So they just, Florida State was loading up the box with nine or ten players. A.J. Dillon miraculously ran for over 100 yards and two touchdowns. I don't know how he did it because there was absolutely no room to run. So, well, he's a special one. That's how he did it. You know, had an amazing freshman year last year, a big game against Syracuse uh, here in the Carrier Dome. And, and I know he's taken his lumps this year, and, and that's what happens in, in football. People get banged up. It partly could explain Brown, who I think was questionable going into that Florida State game. But what's, was. what's that? Yeah, no, he was. I mean, yeah. that definitely, I think, played a role. He was rusty. He didn't play all, all, didn't practice all week or practiced a little bit, but probably not enough. Sure. Uh, so, so that was, you know, it was, look, as you know, Matt, Florida State, not a good team this year, but the one thing they do have is athletes. And the problem that BC had at the end of the game was they were exploited on a one-on-one matchup, and it never should have been one-on-one, and Coach Adazio admitted that. They were in the wrong defensive alignment. And this very good redshirt freshman cornerback named Brandon Sebastian got beat deep by a fellow redshirt freshman, Tamori and Terry. So if you let that athleticism exploit you, it's going to burn you. And well, it happened at the wrong time. Terry's a guy who I thought in the, going into the Syracuse-Florida State game, I thought, whoa, look at number six. Look at number 15. These guys are going to create serious matchup problems. Now, in retrospect, they didn't really use them that much. They it was early in the year, and lots of things that I think Florida State has underwhelmed uh, this season, and, and those didn't so much materialize to the point where they caught Syracuse. But it's not surprising that they could isolate a situation. You know, they're still going to be Florida State to an extent. They got a long way to go, but they've got horses. They do, and I, you know, I've, I've always liked the DeAndre Francois. You know, granted, he's had a lot of off field problems. I'm not a fan of that, but they clearly have a good quarterback. They clearly have a guy behind him that looks like he's going to be a good quarterback, too, and James Blackman. So I think Willie Taggart, they're very impatient there. We heard that many boos throughout the less-than-half-full crowd, uh, you know, the fickle fans of, of Seminole Nation. But very tough loss. BC had designs on a nine-win year, and they still could get those nine wins. But, you know, you got to win your, this one, and you got to win the ball game. So, look, a good year, a very good year. I mean, if, as you know, similar to Syracuse, you win seven, eight, nine games, that's a pretty good, that's a damn good year. So I think Steve Adazio deserves a lot of credit for what he's done in his six years and getting this thing back on track and rebuilding the program. I think that's among the similarities in the programs as we visit with John Mita Perel of the Boston College uh, IMG Sports Network. If Syracuse wins, they are outright solo second place in a division that includes Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina State, and Louisville. I think that's as big an accomplishment as they've had in any aspect since joining the ACC, that, period. Certainly in football. Oh, def- you know, definitely. Definitely. I mean, yeah, think about how bad the Coastal is. It is a right. horrible division. Horrible. Well, I mean, it, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily use the word horrible as much as I would say it's up for grabs. I mean, every if Virginia wins next year, they literally will have had a round robin. Everybody would have had a different winner seven years in a row. Correct. It's it was telling in Miami. And they might, Miami by the way. should have Miami should have more than I mean, if you're Miami right now and you're a Miami fan, you're thinking, how do we not win the coastal every year or every other year at the least? Right. Well, you how look at the built in advantages. Virginia Tech makes more of a commitment than anybody in that division, and Miami has 
some of the built-in advantages in history and coaching and, and resources, et cetera. So it, it ought, you know, it's just not as extreme as it is in the Atlantic, which, you know, it's stuff we talk about all the time. I mean, everybody is behind Clemson right now in terms of the level of commitment made. Florida State would be next. And, uh, you know, as we talk about in this division, NC State and Louisville have, you know, thrown more dollars around recently uh, than the other teams uh, in the division. So, uh, but they still play good football. And this one sets up for a good one on Saturday afternoon. What type of atmosphere and weather and that type of thing are, should we expect? I think the weather is going to be partly cloudy and 45 degrees, which is, uh, you know, that's certainly suitable. Uh, I think in terms of atmosphere, hard to say, kind of a mixed bag, probably similar to what you're accustomed to. Won't be many students there because they're all on break. Right. Um, I think a lot of BC fans are, are fickle, but I think a lot of BC fans now are disappointed and have high expectations. You know, when you lose to a Florida State, then now they're now they're down. So then, you know, it's frustrating for a guy like me who lives and dies with a program. Just stay, you know, support the kids. It's senior day. Come out and support them. You know, what 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 are you expecting? It's again, again a seven, eight, or nine win year is a heck of a year. You get a chance for eight. Get to go to nine. You, you get the eighth win. You'll go to a very good bowl game. So. You know, same same spot that Syracuse is in in that regard in terms of fans uh, not being consistent with their support. I guess one expression I use is "you're not going that good." You know, if Boston College is not, you didn't have it going so well that you can poo-poo a season that still has a chance to be a nine-win season. You're a seven-point favorite at home against a team that's won eight games and is nationally ranked. You know what I mean? As far as from right. a BC perspective, looking in, just uh, the final minute here, John. Um, what? what what does Coach Adazio uh, think of Syracuse from afar? And obviously the, the quarterback situation, a question mark, but what does he think he's got coming in? Well, he knows he's got a really good, really, really good team. He was singing their praises to me last night on the coach's show. Loves what Dino's done. Loves the fact that they're, you know, they're back to kind of, it's that hard-nosed football. Not so much BC will grind it out mentality. I know Dino mentioned that BC is like a 60s and 70s team. I wouldn't go that far. But you know BC's tempo too, so they're, they're they're trying to match that Syracuse tempo. But he has a lot of respect, loves Eric Dungey, absolutely loves him, thinks he's the best quarterback in the conference. Uh, you know, when I say singing his praises, that's an understatement. Loves the defensive ends, uh, loves John Riley. You know, he had a lot of great things to say. I think it's been a, a renaissance period for both teams this year. It's great to get BC and Syracuse back to a game that matters. Last year, you know, BC blew them out. The atmosphere wasn't great. A lot, of, a lot of empty seats. This year it's going to be much different. I think it's going to be very competitive. Yeah, looking forward to it. Nadasio, with his time here, uh, part of those uh, Big East championship teams in the mid-90s, has always had a great deal of respect uh, for the Syracuse program and, and always wishes it well when it's not playing his team. So, John, we appreciate your time. We'll see you on Saturday, okay? Matt, looking forward to it, man. Travel safe. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate it. Good stuff from John Mita Perel the voice of Boston College football, and you'll see him quite a bit on uh, ESPN's college basketball coverage this winter. So that'll uh, wrap our show for today. Adam Terry on the show tomorrow. Hoping to talk more Syracuse and BC. For Pauly and Tommy, I'm Matt saying so long. Big game tomorrow night at the Dome as well. This is In the Booth on ESPN Radio.